to the 52nd Womanthology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, I will be chatting with Dawn Butler MP in her capacity as a member of the House of Commons Science and Technology Select Committee. Dawn shares how she discovered her love for coding, as well as science and technology more broadly, how she got into politics and became an MP, as well as what her role is now on the committee. She also shares what the committee is working on and how you can get involved as part of the Womanthology community. Inesh Santos is on her holidays again at the moment, so I will be talking you through the new content in the written issue whilst she's away. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have got Dawn Butler MP and she is a member of the House of Commons Science and Technology Select Committee and she is MP for Brent Central. How are you doing Dawn? Welcome to the podcast. Hey Fiona, I'm good, thank you. It's a pleasure to join you today. We came from a great science and tech committee meeting today so it's, it's a good day to talk. Oh, we timed it right. I love it when the stars align and everything falls into place. So very excited to be chatting with you today. I've got lots of questions for you. So I'm going to dive in and ask you if you could start by telling us about your educational background and career to date. Well, I went to school in East London and to cut a long story short, it wasn't an amazing school. And I thought probably around the age of 13, 14, school isn't for me, I'm going to leave school. My grades weren't brilliant, the teachers weren't taking note of my work properly. And then I had a computer teacher called Mr. Taylor, and he took an interest in teaching me. He took an interest in my brain and how my brain works differently, how I like to analyze things, and basically said, you need to get into computing. And so I got into computing through Mr. Taylor. And then when I left school, I went to college and studied computer programming. And I was programming in BASIC. Not many people will kind of know BASIC, but there's no zeros and ones. And kind of quite loved that. And I also studied C++. And so I was, I just did programming. And then after college, I thought I was going to go on to university but I thought I'd apply for some jobs that I didn't think I'd get. You know, they were quite well-paid jobs. And I got the first job that I applied for and I was like, blimey, okay, right, I'm gonna go and earn some money instead. And so that is a very short synopsis of my education career. Wow, so that interaction with your teacher was really quite formative in getting you into the whole tech space. Absolutely. I mean, it only takes one great teacher to change a child's life, you know, and that for me was 
as I say, Mr. Taylor, who I haven't managed to find, but I've spoken about him a lot and written about him, and I've mentioned him many times. But it's vital, and especially as a young child, thinking that, what can I do? What's for me? What's going to work for me? And I remember when I went to the school advisor, when we all had to go and you see somebody and they talk you through what you're interested in. And I was told that the most I could hope for would be to be a secretary of some kind. And that was all the ambition that this career advisor had for me. And, you know, I was quite an uncompromising young lady. And I was just like, right, well, I am not going to learn to touch type. Kind of regret that now, to be honest. I thought I'm not learning to touch type because I am not going to be a secretary. But as I say, it just takes one teacher. And in terms of becoming an MP on your journey there, could you tell us a bit about what decided you that you wanted to get into politics? So I was, because I worked in tech, I worked in a very male-dominated environment. And my first job, I got sexually harassed. It, it feels like almost every day. And it was just a male office. I was the only female there. Nobody sort of, you know, understood or took it seriously, even though I complained. And I got the opportunity to take redundancy, and I did. And I was very active then in the trade union movement because I realised that trade unions are the vehicles to get your voice heard when you can't speak out or when your voice has been silenced. So although I was trying to have my voice heard, nobody was listening. But if I had the backing of a trade union behind me, that would have had power to my voice. So I was very active in the trade union movement. To cut a long story short, when a seat came up, uh, this was in Hackney, first of all, some of the members wanted like a socialist, a trade unionist to apply. And so I was encouraged to apply, even though I didn't want to, because I was very happy with my trade union job, really. But then I went for it. And, and I always say, I don't lose, I learn. So for me, the experience of going through a selection process, understanding how it works and going from thinking, I can't really do this. Nobody in politics looks like me or sounds like me. I'm never going to fit in to actually, I can do this. And so the, I learned that lesson from how I can do it. And then I stood again in Newham. I wasn't successful there. And then I stood again in Brent South in 2005, and I was successful. They didn't expect me to win. It was earmarked for actually a Tony Blair special advisor. But, you know, I beat him with over 50% of the vote on the first rounds, which shocked a lot of people. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. So now, Dawn, you sit on the House of Commons Science and Technology Select Committee. Could you tell us about how you got involved in that? So it's a, it's a cross-party committee, as you know. I know that you interviewed Catherine Fletcher. Select committees are the places where I think, in the main, parliamentarians do their best work because we're kind of working together 
to drill down through issues, come up with solutions, holding the government to account, holding departments to account, and it's evidentially based. So when a member of the select committee stood down, I put my name forward because I'm interested in tech. I get excited about tech. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being nerdy about anything. And I love a bit of tech. Click, BBC Click is one of my favourite programmes. And I got on the science and tech and also on the education committee. But I quickly found that I could only dedicate myself to one if I was going to do it properly. And that was going to be science and tech. That's how I got on it. And I love it, really, if I'm honest with you. So today's session was on artificial intelligence. And the government is proposing a white paper around artificial intelligence. And it's such an important debate and discussion to how we regulate AI that it is fundamental going forward. I am often, in a way, a bit of a disruptor, if you like, because I come from areas of concern from different angles. So, for instance, today, my focus of questioning was all around bias in AI and bias in data sets, because all data sets have an inbuilt bias because they are being inputted by people who have their own agenda. What works, what doesn't work, what they like, what they don't like. And that is fine if it's for one particular thing. But if you're if you're building that into an AI, that AI is automatically going to be biased. But not just that, that AI will then learn other biases as it goes along because it's not been corrected, because it's not a human interaction, it's a learning tool. So it's just learning more and more and more biases. So that was today's session. Now, this is just the beginning of our committee stage, if you like. This was the very first meeting. So I can see this getting bigger and bigger and how we ensure that we have an international agreement around AI because it's well documented in America and there's been many cases where young black men, for instance, are arrested for crimes they didn't commit based on AI. And the thing is, one person spent a week in prison for a robbery he didn't commit in an area that he'd never been to. And this is the problem with our over-reliance on, if you like, somebody who says, well, this is the science, you know, this is scientific, this is, you know, this is not wrong. If we get to that level, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So I do like that I can get my teeth stuck into something. So I'm obviously not an MP myself, but if I were to be one, I think that would be one of the committees that I'd be most interested in, just the breadth and the scope. And there's always something new on the horizon. So I think it will be fascinating 
What I will do also is I will include a link to the committee's website in the show notes so our community can have a look at that and just see the work that's ongoing at the moment. How would you encourage our community to get involved with the work of the committee? Well, if we're taking evidence, for instance, on AI, like we're currently doing at the moment, if any of your listeners have reports that they want to put in or they want to give evidence to the committee, they can write to the chair, Greg Clark. They could write to him and say, I am a member of X, Y and Z company, or I have this evidence that I'd like to submit to the committee. And they can do written evidence or they can come in and give evidence in person. We take evidence from a wide range and source of organisations and people. We basically are just collating information. And wherever it comes from is fine as long as it adds to the debate. That's what we do. And it's more powerful. That The more diverse, the better. Which leads me neatly on to my next question about the importance of diversity of thought in science and technology. What is the main benefit of diversity of thought? If we've got the best minds involved, we've got the most diverse range of thought, what are the main benefits? Outcome. Fiona, it's all about the outcome. So you've got groupthink. And if you don't have diversity, if you have everybody in the room who all agree on something and you don't have that diversity of thought, you don't have that disruptor in the room, then your outcome will not be as good and will probably be tainted by group thought. So the most important thing is outcome. If you want the best outcome, you need to be in a room with people who are going to challenge you, challenge your views, challenge your working, challenge your data set, challenge what you say, how you say it. And the important thing is not to be offended or have an ego so large that nobody can question what I'm doing or what I'm saying, because that is when we get into big difficulties. And that is why the debate and the discussion around AI is so important in terms of what it could be used for and what it shouldn't be used for. This is why open source is very interesting because open source, when people are programming, you're getting bits of programming from all different areas. That is in a way vital for security. So nobody knows everything about a system or somebody tries to put a back door into a system, for instance. So diversity is key. It's absolutely key and fundamental if we're to progress in a way that's meaningful and fair. So we're called womanthology, but a lot of the time people think we're just talking about women, talking about women stuff, but actually it goes broader than that. And we're very big on talking intersectionally. So it's not just about women, but it's about all different underrepresented groups as well. Absolutely. And this is what's vital. For instance, today we had somebody and he's like the front end of AI. So before, when I was a programmer, we would program everything in code um, for a website. But now you, you don't you use all these other website tools where you can just go in and rearrange stuff. You don't need to worry about all the coding behind the scenes. So this is what his company does. And it's mainly based around health because he's a doctor, etc. And I said to him, does his program in any way counteract 
the biases that already exist in health. And one clear example of this is BMI, body mass index. So body mass index was something that was created by a mathematician, an astronomer. He, he wanted to just see what the average man is like. So he weighed or whatever, I can't remember, I think it was about 2,000 men or something like this, but only men. And that's what he based BMI on. And this was in the 1800s, and it's still being used today as a measure for our health. So women weren't included in that. No ethnicities were included in that. Just white men from wow. a particular area. Wow. So that is, to put that into an, an AI, you know, that's an already a bias in health that you would then put that into an AI. And the thing is with that is that BMI is used as a determinator for so many different things, whether somebody can have an operation. You can't have an operation if your BMI is too high, if you're classified as obese. So that inequality starts to spread and it becomes more and more dangerous. And this is why we have to be very, very careful. So diversity in everything that we do is important if we're going to have fairness. And we're approaching rapidly International Day of Women and Girls in Science now. So that's coming up on the 11th of February. Why is it so important for us to mark this day? Because it's important for young girls to see what's possible, to see other people succeeding in the area, to know that they can give it a go. I mean, girls often leave school with higher qualifications than boys, but yet still, boys are always the ones that are encouraged to do science or maths or whatever. I mean, it's changed a lot, but still, disproportionately, young girls are not encouraged in that way. I'm being very general, so I apologise to listeners for being general, but it also depends on the school. If you, you find that when you've got a school that encourages their students to just be good at whatever they're interested in and what they're good at, so that, that have like a growth mindset, then the students that, that come out of there, they go on to achieve amazing things. Whereas when you've got schools that are suppressed and say, well, you can't do this and you shouldn't do that, then that's when it's problematic. So it's a day to celebrate. And also, I tell you what else is important about when we have these international days is there's always somebody who didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that there was a woman that created that. Oh, I didn't know there was a woman who did that. There's always someone who didn't know. So you're always opening the eyes of somebody for the very first time. And that, I think, is important. And how will you be celebrating this year? Normally, we have an event here in Parliament where schools are invited and I've got schools in my patch that come and we meet some of the young scientists and have a debate and discussion with them. So I'm hoping that that's happening this year. So I'm going to ask you now, what is coming up next for you, Dawn? What are you excited about? I'm really excited about our evidence sessions on AI in the science and tech. I also want to do more on data capture. 
and what happens to our data and security around that. But yeah, AI has got me very excited. If anyone tunes in, I think it's going to be a fascinating evidence session. And we're going to make sure that we hold the government to account in this white paper because we can't have something where people can just go away and do whatever they want. It's got to be really, really firmly regulated. And excitingly, we have got a women in robotics and AI issue coming up later in the year as well. So we will have to share that with you. Brilliant. Definitely. We can use it in the committee. So if you've got anything that you want to send to the committee, that'd be brilliant. And then we'll go through it all. Lovely. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dawn. And I'm just so grateful. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. So thank you so much, Dawn Butler MP. It's a pleasure. Inesh Santos, our associate editor, is off on her holidays at the moment. I'm bringing you the new stories in the written issue on her behalf. The stories include Dr. Becca Wilson, Interdisciplinary Research and Innovation Fellow at the Department of Public Health Policy and Information Systems at the University of Liverpool, discusses using open source software as part of her research on why collaboration with people from diverse backgrounds and experiences makes for the best solutions. She also shares the work she's doing to help make academic life more accessible for disabled people. Jessica Bradford is Head of Collections and Principal Curator at the Science Museum, where she leads projects which engage people with science, medicine and technology. She tells us how she's combined art and science through her career and how she leads the team that brings stories to life in the museum. She explains the meaning behind the term science capital and reaffirms the museum's open-for-all approach and commitment to inclusive storytelling. And finally, a long-standing friend of Womanthology, who last took part way back in 2016, Dr Solveig Felton, Senior Lecturer and Deputy Head of School of Mathematics and Physics at Queen's University Belfast, discusses how science isn't a set of facts to learn, but rather it's a method for finding out how things work or in many cases, don't work. She discusses the importance of outreach and shares her experience of working as a member of the Juno Assessment Panel, which is the Institute of Physics Gender Award Scheme. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. And in this episode, we've actually got some news of our own that we'd like to share with you. Womanthology has been shortlisted as a finalist for the FSB Celebrating Small Business Awards for Yorkshire and the Humber in the Diversity and Inclusion category. So just want to say a massive thank you to the FSB for recognising all the efforts that it's taken to build Womanthology up, really, from a dream, putting diversity and inclusion right at its heart. So we actually launched way back in 2014 and we've since produced, get this, are you ready? 155 written issues and 52 podcasts, that's including this one, showcasing the incredible talent, wisdom and passion of more than 1,500 people from all around the world. And that's mainly women. But we're nothing without our awesome contributors, though. So if you have taken part in Womanthology over the years, please do say hello on any of our social media channels or drop us an email and remind us about your story This shortlisting is about each and every one of you. The Yorkshire and Humber final of the awards takes place on Friday the 24th of February in Leeds. So please do keep everything crossed for us. Thank you so much. 
sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link to the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us in the next episode where we feature dynamic women in energy and sustainability. 